This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. As my introduction said, this is Tia, and we have an awesome uh, show for you guys today. Now, it is the Top 10 Moments in DC Universe's Doom Patrol. We did a recap show uh, last weekend, but you know, whenever you do these recap shows, you go through the awesome moments, but you don't really dive too much into, like, specific moments that you really enjoyed in the series. So that's kind of what we do the top ten for. I'm really excited for this today. Um, I am waiting for my co-host to kind of hop on, but in the meantime, we're just going to talk a little The DC Universe app is something that I never really thought that I would invest in just because originally it just didn't seem uh, as appealing, but it has really awesome shows in it like Doom Patrol, Titans, and Swamp Thing. So, um, but without further ado, I am going to introduce my co-host, Ryan. Good morning, Ryan. Yo, what's going on? What's going on? (laughs) Oh, we are. Uh, we, how's it going, Ryan? You know, how is your weekend so far? Oh, it's been rough. It's been rough. I didn't realize how hot it was going to be yesterday. And let's just say I drank a little one too many. Woke up at one o'clock and stayed on the toilet bowl for about an hour because I didn't know how my stomach was going to lean. So it, it was a fun night. It was a fun night. But I still exactly. made it onto the show. <laughs> which I always appreciate the dedication. It was hot out, but not overly sunny. I went to the beach yesterday, but it could have been better. My, I didn't really get uh, my tan going on, which I was upset about. Oh, it, it was bad. Like, I had my eyes squinting the whole time, and I started forgetting what I was drinking because I couldn't see shit because I didn't bring glasses with me. But, dude, by 8 o'clock, I, I went up to my bed and I knocked out. It was bad. It was bad. I couldn't even last till nine. It was so bad. I was so hot. I laid on my bed and like, holy fucking shit, this is multiple dimensions right now. (laughs) Yeah, I went. I I went to bed early last night, but that was only because the beach always exhausts me. So we both kind of got early nights, but one of us uh, was feeling a little better than the other, I guess. (laughs) Totally, totally, totally. But, Ryan, I'm happy to have you on because, as I was saying right before you kind of called in, we did do a recap of Doom Patrol last weekend, but we didn't get to really speak about specific moments. So this is why I really enjoy doing the top ten. Right now it's just you and I, so we're going to kill this list um, until, I guess, someone else hops on or the whole time. So you know what? I'm going to give you the number ten spot. All right. So this is one of those lists where I don't really care. I goes like in order, but I think me and you both know what the number one should be, and it happened later in the season. But I'm not going to get into that. But number ten right now is I want to say in the 
I don't remember if it happened at the end of the first episode or the beginning of the second episode. I think it was in Donkey Patrol when they warped into the donkey's asshole to go find Mr. Nobody and uh, Niles. I, I thought that was fucking hilarious. Because like, it, really, it really set up the tone for the show and how much of a fuck they didn't give about what they wanted to do. They give you a very clear idea that this show is going to do whatever it wants, however it wants, and no matter how weird it is. Because no one thinks about teleporting through Donkey's asshole to go to, like, a different fucking mythical realm or something. And I thought it was hilarious, and it was great. It really set up what the show was going to be and what it is now with the season finale and all that. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I think that was definitely the second episode, but that was hilarious. First of all, the fact that, like, so much was centered around the donkey. I mean, Cliff was running around like, I'm trying to find the donkey, and the cyborg just kind of pops up, and he's wondering to himself, what the hell is going on with this freaking donkey? Um, And the fact that the whole town was in the donkey's, like, ass, like, what was the show? And I never read the Doom Patrol comics, so I didn't know how freaking weird this whole world was. So when I'm watching, I was like, holy shit, this is weird as hell, but, like, in a good way. So I definitely think that them all going into the, like, donkey's ass definitely set up uh, for us to know that we were in for one weird freaking ride. And I got to say, really quick, that, like, honestly, the graphics for it being on the DC Universe app and for being something so strange weren't really that bad. Like, the way that they, like, did everything, especially them, like, going into Donkey, then you had, like, oh, my God, do you remember Rita was, like, in, like, the funnel bag going in? Like, they kind of did it where it, it worked. Like, it didn't look, like, terrible. Because, honestly, I it's think, funny. like, Doom Patrol... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, go, Tia, go. Uh, I was just going to say, Doom Patrol, I think, definitely had better, like, CGI than Titans did. Uh, yeah, I can agree with you on that. But to be fair, Titans really didn't have much CGI that they needed, other than, like, Starfire, Blood, and um, Beast Boy on the show. This show had a lot more to work with because of Mr. Robot Man, the fighting, and all the other characters. And I'm glad you mentioned like the, the effects and the budget for this show because I always compare compared it to the movies since it, they're both Warner Brothers. There's absolutely no change in like the CGI between the movies and the show, but it works so much better for the show because it's a TV show and they always give it a, a lower budget than a, a movie, which I'm going to say real quick, I don't know if you know this, but do you know how much the budget budget for Justice League was? How much? I, I know, but three hundred million. That movie was worth wow. three hundred million dollars, and it came out looking like a pile of shit. And I guarantee you, this TV show for the whole season, maybe twenty million. And you see how much they did with twenty million. And to also put it into perspective, Avengers Endgame was only given four hundred million. And you see how much better looking that was. Yes, they got $100 million extra, but it's, it's close enough to, to know that all, no matter how much money you have, you can make CGI better than Justice League. <laughs> Especially <laughs> with that godforsaken mustache. And even um, Infinity War had around $310 million budget. 
and you saw how fucking awesome that movie looked. So the the fact that this show had a, a pretty small budget and still pulled off uh, CGI, in my opinion, quite better than the movies, I, I think well, it's a plus. And I think that, like, it's always more forgivable in a TV show because even, like, yeah, I haven't... It's a TV I show. Haven't, I haven't watched, like, the CWDC shows in a while now, but even so, like, when they had uh, King Shark a few times on The Flash, like, yeah, you could see, like, it wasn't, like, the greatest of budgets, but you didn't mind because you're like, oh, it's a TV show, like, who cares? Yeah. But when you see it on, but when you see it on the scale of, like, a movie, oh, that the CGI in Justice League, and I'll say this really quick, was so distracting. I mean, there were some battle scenes that I couldn't even take seriously because I was like, this is 100% CGI and 100% garbage looking. <laughs> like, Yeah, I, I know. know. I know. And, and it's so, really odd because I, so I just watched Swamp Thing, too. Bro, I, this show must be all practical effects because it looks fucking awesome. Other than the the scene in the beginning when spoilers for Swamp Thing, if no one's seen it yet, which I highly doubt because it's fucking awesome. I have I uh, haven't seen it yet. Just to let you know. Oh, I haven't seen okay. it yet. Okay, this, this this is not a spoiler or anything. But you know how in like horror movies, in the beginning of the movies, they always have like that little scene of people meeting the 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 entity or monster, and then they get killed off. They're like those those like bread breadcrumb characters. Yeah, they they have a scene like that in the beginning to show you like who like what what's the thing of this the season, and that's probably the only time you notice that it's CGI. But other than that, the rest of the show just seems really practical. And I was even shocked by it, especially that it's Warner Brothers. And I did I fucking applaud them because I feel like each show their CGI is getting a little bit better. Now, Star Girl, on the other hand, probably I, I think it's not going to be as good. Don't know why, because if I know anything about Stargirl, she's got, like, a, a bunch of, like, she's, like, a Captain Marvel-esque character. Not powerful like that, but within the realm of that. And if they do it anyway, that they do Captain Marvel in the Marvel movies, then I think they're having a hard time. But this is not about the DC TV universe. This is about fucking Doom Patrol and how awesome the show is. <laughs> and I will say really quick before I move on to the next one, um, just one more comment about, like, special effects and everything. Even, like, Mr. Nobody, who, like, in the comics has been out, obviously, afterwards, I, like, took a look of what, you know, they're supposed yeah. to look like in cartoon form. You know, it kind of looks like more like a question mark. So, But obviously, they, like, brought yeah. in Alex. Alan Tudyk, so they're not gonna like not show his face. But even that, and like he, that, probably he was, was probably the only character that I, I had a hard time with the CGI. But luckily, they they were more dependent on Alan Tudyk than the fractured body he has in the real world. So I give him credit for that because I really wasn't digging like that whole fractured look he got in in uh, Doom Patrol. But when they were in like a subconscious level. And they showed yeah. more of his just his whole physical. That's when I dug it a lot more. That's probably the only gripe I had with the CGI in the show, though. And it was so small and minimal that it didn't do anything for me. And they probably did that on purpose because they knew that, like, it wasn't the best looking. So they put it, yeah. like, here and there just because they're like, all right, I mean, it is, like, comic books. 
you know, that it looks like that. So we have to kind of put it uh, here and there. But, yeah, I do like that they relied more on, like, how Alan Tudyk really looks. Um, but who knows? Maybe in season two they'll do better because I can't possibly see them uh, not bringing him back for season two. But anyway, let's move on. Um, I'll take the number nine spot. Uh, I think I kind of mentioned this in our uh, recap last week, but I really loved uh, the character Dr. Harrison, which is one of Crazy Jane's 64 personalities. I don't know what it is, if it's, like, a combination of the fact that, like, Diane Guerrero looks so goddamn beautiful with, like, those blue eyes, but, um, and also the fact that she was just completely, uh, just in control of everything, so I loved the fact that when, uh, Mr. Nobody and the Chief had to kind of team together to take down the deep creator and they realized they had to go back in time and get uh, Dr. Harrison to help them spread the word of the recreator. I just really love yeah. that whole life thing, how every single time uh, Dr. Harrison got a moment to spread the word and like even that one, uh, I don't want to say security guard, that's not what he was, but he wasn't a doctor, but one of the guys who was like trying to get her to like, you know, fall in line while she was in the asylum, yeah. and then and then he just walks out, and he's like, "You're right, like this is what I need in my life." And she's like, "In the recreator." Oh my god, it was so great, it was so hilarious, and she's spreading the word, and uh, and of course, then that scene where they're trying to decipher, well, like what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. You know, the the book shouldn't be just written out in plain sight. It should be that, like, you know something happens and yeah. then you can see the script. And I just loved all of that. Um, Dr. Harrison was such a great character. I loved her spreading the word of the recreator and how she even um, called Mr. Nobody out where she's like the recreator really. And no, Mr. Nobody's like, who has the time right now? We're on a schedule. So <laughs> um, number nine is definitely going to be Dr. Harrison spreading the word of the recreator. So I want to know, Ryan, like what were your thoughts during that and of Dr. Harrison as a character in, in whole? So I, I really like Crazy Jane, the Dr. Harrison character. And I, I really like all the other characters for her. But when it comes to the recreator and the decreator, those were one of the like three episodes that I had kind of a gripe with. Cause it, it was two episodes. Really? It was like a two-episode arc. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. I, I found it kind of odd. So you have a TV show, right? Doom Patrol, mm-hmm. super wacky, all this and that. And they're, they're like a main man, the, the father figure, gets taken, and that's the whole arc of the show. And then halfway through the season, maybe a little bit sooner even, they throw in some prophecy shit about – a, a G creator that's going to destroy the earth with the, with this kid. You have a bunch of these spiritual fucking Ninjago motherfuckers coming out of nowhere to try to kill the to try to have the kid prophesize. And then you have Crowley from Supernatural coming <laughs> wanting to kill the kid. And then you have Rita not wanting to kill you. So I found it a bunch of going back and forth between the the D creator and then they're like, oh, let's just go back in time with Jane and get Jane to uh, have a prophecy with a recreator and shit like that. 
don't know, it wasn't my type of episode because I'm not into that whole prophecy and biblical type of stuff when it comes to TV shows. I find it kind of, I wouldn't say demeaning, but I, I find it pretty pretty stereotypical for a TV show to do that nowadays. But I did like what they did since they had a decreator and the recreator, and it was two giant fucking eyeballs just looking at each other to death. So I thought that I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah, the that that and fucking Doctor Harrison along with Niles Holder and Mister Nobody were pretty much the only things I really enjoyed about the episode. Other than that, I didn't care about the whole Rita and the kid thing, and. Of course, you, you love the I always hate the guy who who played Crowley, but that actor he did a fantastic job. I actually wish he came back for the finale or some shit and do some voodoo stuff. I I see him as the Constantine of this like TV show. He's a wisecracking asshole who doesn't care about anybody and he'll just kill somebody. So I I found that kind of funny, but yeah, I I really did like the Jane moments, the Doctor Harrison moments. And, and the show has a bunch of them, too. And I just certainly understand that because I will say, like, based on the tone of the show that we got from the first three episodes, keep in mind those were, you know, the introduction, the donkey patrol, and then when they went to Paraguay. So we saw, like, the tone of the show, and then for them to kind of go into this, like, apocalypse-type thing. I will admit I was taken uh, aback for a moment that they kind of went in that direction and like the whole talking horse head was a little like strange but it was really cool seeing Mark Shepard come in as a like Constantine-esque figure which I think we discussed last week and that we discovered that the whole reason why he was created was because at the time in the comics like that artist couldn't use Constantine so essentially just made his own version of Constantine yeah. in like a so he did great. Um, and again, super strange, the whole thing. Uh, but I guess that's kind of like the whole premise of Doom Patrol. It's super freaking weird. And I think maybe they just wanted to get that comic book accurate scene down and also kind of show Mr. Nobody and the chief, uh, Niles Calder, working together. And I think we kind of, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, a little later, but they even set up that early in the show that something wasn't exactly right with Niles because you had Willoughby yeah. saying that, oh, the Niles that he knew would have, you know, killed this kid for the greater good. And the Doom Patrol essentially is like, that's not the Niles called or we know. And Willoughby's like, well, then we know two different Niles. So I feel like they were definitely setting up that early to kind of reveal that this guy is not who you who you thought he was. Yeah. So, I, and I, again, I certainly see um, where you might have your gripes with the uh, Deep Creator's story arc. I totally get that. I still think it uh, led to some really nice, like, moments where we kind of had, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, we had uh, Cliff and Jane having their little separate adventure, which I'm never opposed to. They're, they're, Interactions are probably like my favorite in the entire series. Uh, and at that point, I really wasn't necessarily like caring so much for the character of Rita. So I guess it was a little redeeming seeing how much she wanted to protect that kid. And then ultimately, we saw that she 
couldn't. So we had that. I'm, but sorry, go ahead. No, I'm glad you mentioned that because when as you were talking, it kind of just hit me that I felt like the these two episodes that it was based on were just for the characters that I felt like the creators knew we never had enough time with. If you really think about it, this ep- these two episodes really centered around Rita, the child, Niles, mm-hmm. and nobody. And, yeah, Rita does get the most screen time out of all of them and the most character development, but she was very un- underused and underdeveloped in the show. And then after this episode, you rarely ever see Niles and Mr. Nobody. You see Mr. Nobody in the background for maybe a scene or two at the end of an episode a few episodes later. And then you get Niles Holder in his, like, own very weird episode about him having sex with some, like, Neanderthal woman that I'm not even going to get into. But it felt like they, <laughs> they, they needed, like, two episodes just to have these characters in because they felt like they didn't get enough of them in the show. Which, I, I, mean, I don't know if it works like that, but it just seems that way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, well, I did like, and I think that I pointed this out, but I loved when uh, Mr. Nobody kind of said that, uh, you know, the, the end of the world can't happen right now. I haven't even been in the last two episodes. And exactly. really, you know, we were set up for Mr. Nobody to be the big villain, which you can say that he was, but he wasn't really that present in the show, especially in the, like, first half of the series, which was strange because this was supposed to be the adversary. But I think it was that they really just wanted to develop uh, the characters of Doom Patrol, really kind of get you in there so that maybe then the the second uh, season we can really get into, like, plot-based stuff. Yeah. So that's personally how I feel about it. But uh, I just love the character. Dr. Harrison had to give her a shout-out. Um, Ryan, uh, while apparently they're burning down Yonkers right now, I want you to get the number eight. <laughs> so my number eight is, I, it, I think you probably put it higher, but I want right now I'm going to say the Dr. Niles Colder review, reveal, not reveal because I'm a fucking idiot, reveal at the end of the penultimate episode where you finally figure out that all these accidents were because of him. Yes, I found some, like, I don't know how he did this type of thing to this character. I'll get to that in a second. But I really liked it because I wasn't expecting this because I think we spoke it on the recap review episode last week. I personally was not expecting this to be his reveal because some of it just didn't line up to me in my head. Like I said before, he, quote-unquote, was the cause of everybody's reason for becoming who they are. Um, Robot Man Cliff Steel, I can totally get it. I don't completely understand how he created Rita, though, because if anyone remembers correctly, all she did was step on a faulty piece of wood and fell into a swamp. So I don't know exactly how he could be the reason for her becoming this very Elastigirl-type figure. And then you have Larry. I don't really know how he got the negative force to go up in the sky and crash with him and create that. Another gripe. But those are the only two things I'm wrong with when it comes to that because it doesn't really make much sense to me. 
But I, I, I let it. I kind of ignored it. I, I ignored it because I didn't care. It was a great character moment, and you've been building up to this moment all season because, just like you said before, everyone says that's nothing Alex Calder I know, and then the Doom Patrol would always defend him, and then you find out that he was the reason why all these people became there. Is that so? I found that a very emotional, impactful moment that very much well worked for me because even though we might not have gotten enough time with Colder, we got enough time for us to feel the emotions. And it kind of carries on in the next episode, the season finale, because you see how he actually really cares about these people. If you remember correctly, when he was talking about Cliff Steele, he intended for him to die on the race car accident. If you guys remember in the first episode, they – he gets into a car accident on the racetrack, and then he cuts away. When that was intentionally, he was supposed to die, and he wasn't supposed to get his head decapitated by a fucking truck and let his wife die and make his daughter, like, a daughter without a family. And I really felt that because you're like, oh, fuck, because he even started crying to um, Victor Stone's mom, which I thought was a decent character for the amount of screen time you can see them having that friendly bond and him regretting it because he didn't want to have a girl not have any parents because of him. And because of him, he doesn't, she doesn't have a father or a mother. And you see it in the season finale that he even asked Cliff Steele, can you help me get my daughter? And then it reverts back to him like, you didn't let me have mine or my wife let have the daughter or something. So you have this conflicting idea like, oh, you meant to just kill him and get his grant, but because that didn't work out, you took away both parents. And why should you Why should you have the luxury of going back to your daughter when I don't? And I thought that was a very well good character moment, character development throughout two episodes, or really one episode. And then you have Crazy Jane, who is... I want to say the daughter figure to Niles Holder until we... I didn't even know Niles had a daughter up until the final episode, too, may I remind you. I'm just like, wait, Niles has a fucking daughter? Not the point, though. But Crazy Jane was the, the daughter-esque figure of not only Niles Holder, but Cliff Steele, because we talked about this on the recap. When they all went their different ways for a few months, Cliff never left Crazy Jane's side because he would buy her burritos and then just leave it by her little van or door. And because she was the daughter figure for everybody, seeing how he did all these experiments on her, giving her these personalities with, I, I forgot that doctor's name from the TV show that uh, watched the older Doom Patrol people. But between the, that, that scientist and Colder, you really see how fucked up Colder's is. It, it was really, really messed up. And you really feel for every character because you realize this man ruined their lives for his own self-worth and his own self-interest. And I thought the episode perfectly did it when it came to family and all that. What do, how do you feel about it, Tia? Well, to me, it, one of the like most impactful uh, quotes during that whole thing is and you mentioned it when Cliff asks him, "Can I get the past 
30 years back with my daughter. And yeah. to me, I was just like, wow. Like, you know, because, and it's true. And in the first episode, they really do make you think that he was killed on the racetrack. And then obviously they go back and say, no, he survived that. And you can see where that was supposed to happen. And yeah, and I, and I think I said that we always got throughout the series these little hints that uh, the chief, uh, Niles, was not the person that we thought he was because when they go see the original Doom Patrol and you see that uh, there was supposed to be a room for Jane there and at first the room looked fine because it's obviously under Mento's spell, but uh, then suddenly you see in reality there's like a shit ton of locks on it and if anything that was just meant to be her prison. If Niles thought yeah. that maybe she was like too much, and so to me that was like whoa. So it was really just like, uh, and yeah. So the the big chief reveal when he said all that, I was like wow. I was like all these people who have spent the whole entire season looking for you, uh, caring about you, worried about your safety, and you essentially ruined all of their lives. I will say. I agree with you, Ryan, that there are a few things that are questionable about this because it's like, so did he purposely make like the planks like faulty so that when Rita like stepped, then like she, you know, fell into the the river? I I don't really understand that. Uh, But I guess you can just. I guess they, it's just one of those things where it's like, we're not going to go back and like really try to explain it. We're just going to roll with it and say that it's all really convenient. Uh, so I think maybe that was a thing. But before I go on any further, I got to welcome Juwan to the show. Welcome, Juwan. Hello, hello, hello. Early morning, early morning. <laughs> you know, the past two days, I have woke up at like 7.30, so I've been up for a few hours right now, John. <laughs> oh, God. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> I, you know, when you work, when you wake up at like 6 a.m. every day to go to work, I guess it's just one of the things you get used to it, but... Uh, Juwan, thank you for joining us for the top 10 moments in Doom Patrol. Ryan and I have been uh, just kind of throwing out our favorite little moments. We've been discussing a lot, so I'll kind of tell you what we're at right now. Um, Number 10, we had uh, the scene where they all warped into the donkey. Uh, Number 9 was uh, Dr. Harrison spreading the word of the recreator. And we're actually just up to number 8, which is the big uh, Niles Calder reveal. Keep in mind that uh, whenever we do the top 10, we do try to kind of like go in order, but it's not always going to be in order. So um, the number eight is the chief reveal. Juwan, do you want to tell us your thoughts when that went down? Juwan? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Um, the reveal of you mean the reveal when we found out that he was responsible for everyone? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think we. Um, I think I said this when we did the review show. Um, it caught it caught me off guard because uh, they completely changed the character between when we saw him in Titans and we saw him in Doom Patrol. In Titans, he seemed more like the guy that was a hundred percent capable of doing something like that. 
um, Doom Patrol, he did seem more so uh, like a father figure, more so like the the guy that just wants what's best for them. Um, so it completely caught me off guard. I, I won't say it was necessarily like a huge shock because um, they were queuing up that you know he had done something. Um, I just didn't think it was necessarily that. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good surprise. Um, I'm glad we kind of got past it uh, in, in the finale. Um, and then we can look to the future for, for season two with a team rather than um, separate entities that are just forced to work together. Um, we're more so looking at a team led by uh, Niles Coulter. Right. I don't – so the thing is, like, I'm not sure how that's going to work out moving forward with Niles, um, just because it's like I understand that they, like, work together to defeat uh, the big bad pretty much. But I think that it's still going to be difficult for them to kind of trust him moving forward. I do think that we're going to have them team up together, but if anything, just kind of be among themselves rather than having Niles be at the forefront. Niles may just kind of go off at some point. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure how they're going to kind of, uh, you know, handle it. But it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they uh, handle that sort of thing. And if we see Niles essentially keeping up with his, uh, you know, with his kind of sneaky behavior, if you will. So I'm not exactly sure. But uh, that is always what season two is for, and I'm super excited for it. Uh, Moving right along, Juwan, I'm going to give you the number seven spot. Uh, for number seven, uh, this is a tough one. Uh, I don't want to give really good ones early on. Um, uh, let me see. I'd say I really enjoyed when they went into, um, Crazy Jane's brain. Uh, not Zay, rather. Um, uh, why can't I think of the robot's name? Cliff. Uh, when Cliff went inside of her mind um, to see uh, all the horrors that she went through uh, with seemingly, I think that was her dad or stepdad. Um, yeah. And then to see like all the actual personalities, like, like I thought we were going to see a bunch of different versions of what Jane looks like, but no, they're their own, uh, you know, own personalities, own look. Um, and they all look so different and they have so much personality. Uh, I thought that was just a great episode for us to kind of see more into Jane. Um, I remember telling you, Tia, uh, and Joel back when Doom Patrol first started, I wasn't a fan of them mentioning that she had over 65 personalities um, inside of her, mainly because it just was unrealistic that we would see all 65. Um, so I was like, you know, just shorten it. Say she has 10, and then, like, through the course of, uh, the first season, we get to see all those ten, and you can kind of just focus in. Um, and seemingly, it kind of feels like that's what they did, because I don't recall seeing more than maybe, what, ten, maybe fifteen? Um, I think fifteen is too high uh, of the the personalities when you got when we stepped inside of her, her brain. So, um, you know, I, I really like that they kind of said 65, but then kind of just settled on, like, ten, it looks like. Um, but when you say 65, it gives you an opportunity that next season maybe we see a personality she never knew she had. Maybe we see a power she never knew she had. Um, I just I don't like when you kind of trap yourself with, with such a large number. 
Um, but the episode was done very well, and, and, and I love that episode. And I think it was very important to us who maybe didn't read the Doom Patrol comics to better understand uh, Jane and how she became, quote-unquote, so crazy. Yeah, and I remember uh, listening to the review show that you and Joel had done for the first two episodes, and you had said that you were skeptical about the large number of her personalities, that the same thing that they kind of did with uh, Split, with, um, you know, James McAvoy's character. Right. I First of all, this is on my list. I absolutely loved the whole episode where they went into uh, Jane's brain. I did like how some of the characters looked like her, like Driver 8 and um, uh, Karen. But other than that, you really saw all these, like uh, Hammerhead was like a bald biker woman. And then you had all these other characters. You got to see Silver Tongue and uh, Scarlet Harlot pretty much. You got to see all of them. It was so great um, to kind of have all of that. And almost like Jane is kind of like, I don't want to say like, she is almost intimidated by the rest of them because they're telling her, like, you're the main. You have to be up there. And she's like, I don't want to do it anymore. And they're like, nope, you got to go do that. Uh, and you got to see, like, the different sections of the memories and everything. And Cliff, I think, maybe got a much more uh, in-depth look at who this person is and what's really going on with the quote-unquote underground. I really like that. And, yeah, I mean, what I think that, in general, Doom Patrol did really well is that they obviously hinted to us that there was extreme trauma that this girl went through. And it wasn't even Jane. It was this girl, Kay. All the other personalities stemmed from this trauma. Um, And they obviously are showing you what happened, but not showing you at the same time. So I thought that they really approached all of that really well and something that Cliff um, got obviously a better understanding for. He never outwardly said like, hey, I saw what, you know, this guy did to this girl and why all of you kind of were created. But obviously he got to see it firsthand. And, yeah, I mean, I loved how they did. I loved the style of it. I loved everything about it. Um, if you look up online, they do list, like, all of the personalities, but some of them are just kind of, like, in name only, and they've never, like, seen them or don't, they don't have powers or even, like, random personality number 55 pretty much. So uh, I don't know why there's so many. I think they just really wanted to convey, like, how, quote, unquote, crazy she was. But, um well, Ryan, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say, I think in comic form, you can get away with it only because, you know, if you're a long comic run, you have so much time, space, and opportunity to explore all 65. Um, I think when you do a series, um, you can't really just hone in on one character only. Um, so I kind of feel like if we ever do get to experience all 65, um, some will kind of be like, oh, this one doesn't really just have power. She's just this or that. And it's kind of like, don't go through all that. Like, just narrow it down. Focus on, like, the really, really, really cool ones. Like, I'd be fine if they said 20, because um, 20 to me is more believable over the course of, let's say it goes five seasons. Um, say 65, to me, it's just like, that's just, it's not realistic. <laughs> you know, it's like saying, 
oh, yeah, Tony Stark has, like, 65 armors that you guys are going to see. It's not really realistic. Like, when are we going to see him in those 65 suits over the course yeah. of his, his span of being – just not realistic. So, like, that that's the only issue I have with it. I don't have an issue with her having 65 personalities. It's just for TV format, narrow it down. Yeah, and it seems like she does have her core personalities. We see Jane, Hammerhead, Foot sometimes, Silver Tongue, and Baby Doll. Baby Doll. It, yeah. 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 Those are, like, essentially the core ones, and we see a few others every once in a while, but that's essentially it. Um, so, Ryan, how, what were your thoughts of uh, the underground and that episode in a whole? So I'm pretty sure me and you actually both said this on the recap. This is my favorite episode from the season, personally. And I'm kind of glad you brought up the 65 personalities, Juwan, because I thought it was really – I really enjoyed that they said 65 and not the 20 you were saying. Because, yes, and it's a lot easier to do that in comics because they're always continuous. There's never a truly an end-to-end unless the comic distributor or the, the writer wants to end it. So they have more. They have more time to develop all these personalities. Whether in a t- whether in a TV show, they have 13 episodes or 15, like Doom Patrol has. And I think that I think it works in their favor because you met the main core ones, Hammerhead, Baby Doll, all those Jane. You met all those this season, and then next season they can bring some of those back, but they can also start focusing on different personalities and maybe like two or three personalities. And they can do that for however many seasons they have because 63, 65 is a lot of fucking personalities. And they can get away with it if they keep running the show for, like, I want to say maybe five, seven seasons. They, they can work with it. And I feel like this show is good enough if they don't lose their steam. And even if the DC Universe stays around, because I'm pretty sure the DC Universe might not be staying around for much longer for some reason. But if it stays around for long enough, I truly believe that they can get away with it. 65 personalities and I'm glad you also brought up the uh, Iron Man type of thing where they say the this is like his Mark 89 suit from Avengers Endgame and how he will never truly be in every single suit throughout the movies that is true but I don't know if you remember this in Iron Man 3 at the climax of that movie he called in almost every single suit he owned into fighting the Mandarin's uh, super soldier army so even though he wasn't in the suit, we still got a chance to see most of the other suits that he had. Yes, there are very slight differences that we might not even be able to notice, but just the fact that they kind of just, like, pushed that out there was nice, and I feel like they could do that with the Doom Patrol show if they have enough seasons, but if they haven't, if they don't have enough seasons, like, let's say the DC Universe told them, you guys only have four seasons, then it would make more sense to maybe do 20 uh, personalities. But if they can keep going and get renewed every season without having a deadline, I truly believe that they can get through 65 personalities. But it might take a while, but I truly do believe that they can get through 65 personalities, in my opinion. Well, the thing is, is that if you look, some of the personalities are ones that we did see in the underground that you'll probably never, like Driver 8 is a personality. We'll never see that character up on the surface. And even like the three-headed sisters are considered a personality. So these are like personalities that like aren't that prevalent. They're not very major. Like the one, I don't know if you remember, uh, there was a nun with a chainsaw. I doubt we're 
ever going to see that one come to the surface. So there's, like, obviously the obscure personalities that just kind of are there for some reason. Yeah, I mean, the the, the biggest thing is when you're doing personalities, same as when you're doing Iron Man suits of armor. Like, I don't need you to focus in and say, like, hey, this is personality number 13. It's just have her turn personality. The The reason why 65 just realistically can't work is because you've established, as Tia said, a core group of the personalities that it looks like she's going to be kind of um, maneuvering through uh, for however long these seasons go. So it's like, all right, next season, you should probably bring those same ones back. You can work in new ones. But to me, it's like I don't need you to focus that much on Crazy Jane on a show that's about a team. Um, so, like, I don't need an episode where it's kind of like, all right, I'm finding out she has six more that we didn't know about or that she didn't know about that we're going to see. And then the next season, six more. Like, no, you don't have to focus that much into it. Just casually have it be to where it's like they look over and they're like, what the hell is this? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> never saw this. Never saw that one before. And it's like, all right, well, like, can you, can you like, control that? Um, like, just play around with it. But to me, it's like the reason – the only reason I don't like it is because it's such a – huge number um and it and like i said it's just it's not realistic even what you said with with iron man like we have to remember that wasn't everything he had in his vault i can guarantee you uh they showed a um a promo uh like a uh, an unused scene for for endgame uh was going to be tony going back home and going into his vault and i don't know if you you guys remember from the comics or the animated series tony had almost, I, I won't say thousands, I'd say hundreds of suits. Um, and in the current MCU, he's only done about 80. Um, excuse me, in Iron Man 3, there's about 15, um, 15 to 20 that showed up. So that wasn't even all of his suits. That was all, maybe most of them that he had at that moment. Um, but to me, it's just kind of like, it's, it's something we don't need to focus on. Um, it's something I don't really think about. It's just like 65 is huge. And I don't want you to dedicate that much dialogue, that much screen time to showing us, like, all right, you had the core five, here's another five. Like, it just, it, no, you don't need to do all that. Um, you can kind of work it into where it's like a new one might pop up during battle, maybe when she's nervous or scared. Um, but, yeah, the, even if it does go seven seasons like Arrow managed to do, you're still not going to work in 65 because you're still going to have the issue of fans going, well, how do I know which, like, which one is this? Like, how many have we had so far? And to me, it's just like, if you have to go through all that, shortening it might make more sense. Yeah, I feel like the show also just said it just to make it seem like, oh, wow, she's got 65 personalities. That's crazy. But never had the intention to show it at the same time, I feel like, in their case. And just always have, like, in the Crazy Jane-centric episodes, like, you see these characters, but they're kind of just there because they said they have 65, but they have never have any means of introducing them. And they'll have, like, the, the core, let's just say 10, if they do introduce two more next season. But yeah, you could be, a, honestly, right. that's all I can you, say. You could be, a, yeah. Yeah, you could be 100% right. Um, that, that makes 100% yeah. sense. Um, they said 65 because it's comic accurate. So they were just trying to, to key yeah. in on the accuracy yeah, yeah. of the character, which I have no no yeah. problem with whatsoever. Yeah, like, I, I, I love that because, you know, there are some people 
who are like diehard Doom Patrol fans. And, you know, that means something for them. So I would never want to take that away from them. I'm just saying, like, fans have to understand things have to be realistic to what the show is able to do. And there's no way in hell to give you 65 of these. You're not getting 65 um, personalities, yeah. Right, right. But, like I said, I, I get the, the, the comic accuracy of it. Uh, that I, I, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying I, I kind of feel like you've now, to fans who may, don't know of the comics, and now kind of curious, like, I kind of do want to see more of these personalities, like at least, what, 20, 25 out of the 65. Um, it, it's just it's, it's hard to do, I assume. Um, and God bless the actress. <laughs> I was telling her, you need to be 65 different people um, is, is insane. She did an amazing job with the, what, five to, to eight able to go through. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to you. No, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, Diane Guerrero did such a fantastic job. And I think I mentioned this in our recap, I never knew that she was that great of an actress. Not that I had anything against her. I had only seen her in Orange is the New Black, where she pretty much plays a very uh, one-dimensional character. I thought she was very stereotypical in that show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at least for what I saw in, like, the first four seasons that I actually watched of the show. So to see that and her do what she does in Doom Patrol absolutely fantastic really great casting so yeah she just i can't wait to see what she has uh in store for us in season two but uh moving right along uh i'm gonna get the number six slot because i have my next one planned out but that's maybe a little later in the thing but um this is a very small scene but it really always stood out to me it's uh rita essentially uh squishing to death that really creepy uh producer just because I really like that they kind of, I think if everyone doesn't know, obviously Hollywood, still to this day, of course, but especially back then in like the 50s, really was just, it wasn't, and I watched this whole, not to get off on a tangent, but I watched this whole like documentary on like, um, uh, shit, what the frick is her name? Oh my God, the woman who played Dorothy in Wizard of Oz. I don't know why I can't remember her name right now. But uh, this whole documentary, you know, actresses and actors, they weren't independent, you know, entities. They were owned by studios. And if the studio wanted you to do something, you did it. So you have Rita, who at the time is feeling very much like she isn't getting work. So she's trying to go to this producer to get her into the next film. And he essentially is alluding that, all right, well, you have to sleep with me in order for that to happen. And it really uh, kind of pointed to how things are in the film industry, unfortunately, especially back then. And I loved the moment where obviously she's getting anxious and stressed, which makes her not be able to control what's happening to her body and essentially kills the guy. And his secretary, who maybe has, you know, looked at Rita a little bit, you know, beforehand as, oh, this girl who's just throwing herself to this guy. But he, she realizes that, obviously, he was using his position and his power to uh, get what he wants. And instead of 
And, and the way that the secretary just instantly was like, wow, he died of a heart attack. Cause she, it's like, whatever happened, obviously, I don't think she knew that Rita turned into a giant blob and killed the guy. But she obviously knew something happened. And she, saying it out loud was like, you know, I got you. This is what we're saying. Get out of here. You were never here. Um, there's no evidence of you being here. Just go. And I, I liked that moment. It was a nice, you know, nice moment between two women. Uh, and just obviously, again, told like the backstory of Rita and the difficulties, I guess, of being in Hollywood and being in the spotlight back in uh, the 1950s era of movies. So I just really like that scene. I know it's so super small, um, but I just, as much as maybe Rita wasn't my favorite character, I did enjoy these moments that showed that there was more to her than just what we had seen on the surface. So that's definitely going to be my number six uh, pick. Juwan, do you want to tell us what you thought about that? I know that you said that Rita was actually one of your like most liked characters in the series. Yeah, it was a, um, it, it was amazing to see uh, well, let me not say amazing for uh, the example you use or the the uh, scene rather that you use, but just overall for Rita, it was amazing to see how far she had come um, and how strong she truly is. Like, forget about her powers, her as an individual, how strong she is. Um, and we need more representation like that, especially from these comic book series um, and or movies. Um, but yeah, that scene was powerful. I mean, we literally are going through seeing that that's not just something that, that happened back in the day. Like, that was something that was happening uh, in our current day um, with a la Harvey Weinstein and, and, and guys like that. So it was just – it was refreshing for it to be put on the screen for us to see um, just how disgusting it could be in those casting rooms, in those, uh, you know, uh, interviews and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think what would hurt the most was seeing how um, her reaction initially was, well, I got to do what I got to do. Um, and then it just so happened that her abilities um, kind of leaped out, and, and that's what uh, ended up suffocating him. Um, but, you know, it, it just – goes to show you how corrupt and disgusting Hollywood can be. Um, and that, to me, was a powerful episode. And it was even more powerful for the, the secretary to come in and just kind of go, I know what goes on. Like, she, again, she didn't say this. This was all implied. Um, I know what goes on in here. And um, I, I, it just kind of seemed like she didn't feel bad. It was kind of like he kind of got what, what, what he deserved. So it's like you leave. Nothing happened. I tell everyone it was a stroke or whatever. Um, and that, to me, like all these things that happened to Rita kind of just built up and built up and built up, kind of seemed like it stripped her of her confidence. It stripped her of who she is, who she wanted to be. Um, and she spent an entire season trying to find herself. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like she came out uh, on the other side stronger, wiser, braver, um, and I kind of consider her to be the leader of the team. Um, you know, the arguments could be made that Niles is still the leader, or Cliff to a degree. I, I consider it to be Rita. Um, and I would love it for, uh, if they approached it that way. Um, 
but yeah, I, I loved Rita's character. As I said before in, in our review, um, she was my standout. Uh, she will probably be my standout for next season, season after that. I just love what the actress has done with that uh, that character, mainly because I was telling Joelle, I only knew her from Two and a Half Men. Um, and she was She was in not, Two and a Half Men? Yeah, she played, um, she uh, she was Charlie's girlfriend for like an episode. And then Alan started to date her for like a, a stretch, oh, like a long right. stretch. Oh my god, that I was her. Yeah, I knew yeah, that I was her from somewhere. Yeah, so oh, was she her. wasn't. She wasn't That's the funny. most model of a character in Two and a Half Men. So it was great to see another level of um, acting dimension that we got from Doom Patrol. Uh, because you know, I I said to Joelle, I was like, I didn't know what to expect because. Like, she didn't really need to do any acting in Two and a Half Men. She was obviously eye candy at the time. And the way they used her character, like, you just didn't really need acting chops. <laughs> so it was like, I was curious to see what she was going to bring to Doom Patrol. And she blew me away. Um, so that, to me, is one of the one of the biggest reasons why she was my standout. But uh, to your exact scene, Tia, I thought it was powerful. I thought it was very important for today. Um and and I loved it. And, and again, it goes to why I just loved Rita. And um, while you were speaking, I kind of was like realizing a lot of little things as well. I mean, they really um, focused on how being an actress at that time really shaped her, right? Um, she is always looking at the mirror, looking at herself. Obviously, you can make the argument that she's doing that because uh, she doesn't want to turn into a blob. But it's also the fact that she's in Hollywood. She's obviously, I don't want to call her older. I don't consider her older. But in Hollywood, you know, especially at that time, if you weren't, like, in your young 20s, even if you're, like, in your 30s and top of your 40s, oh, my God, you're too old, especially as a female actress, right? So she's always looking at herself, making sure that she looks good. Um, and it really reminds me of, like, a moment in, uh, remember Joan Rivers? She had, like, her little, like, uh, you know, reality show. She was getting, of course, another surgery. And she was saying, like, oh, you know, in this town, like, you got to look a certain way or else they're not going to want to hire you or something like that. And that really just was, like, what Rita was always looking for. And I still think to this day, just making sure that she looked the best that she could look, even if she didn't, say, have those powers where she, you know, had to always be in control. But um, Ryan, what did you think about – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, but see, that's what I love about um, where her character is at now because I kind of feel like where we left off with Rita, it just doesn't matter to her anymore. I think she's more in tune with herself. I think she's more in love with herself. Um, that she's not caring what other people see when they look at her. She's just caring uh, of what she sees when she looks at her. Um, and I, I think she's gained so much confidence um, through the events of the whole first season. I think you'll see a way more confident Rita um, going forward. Yeah, and I agree. I think definitely this season was her triumphing over her own insecurities. Um Ryan, what did you think about that scene in particular that we were talking about um, and kind of Rita, I guess, as a whole? Um, do you guys know Rita wasn't my favorite character, but I'm glad Juwan liked her because I don't really know too many people that does, so I'm glad she's getting the love that she deserves. 
because by the end of the season, she got better. Don't get me wrong, but not enough for me personally. But the scene that Juwan you chose was probably one of the best character development moments for her character throughout the season. And I really enjoyed it, especially with the Hollywood stuff. When I was watching it, I'm just like, dude, this is super fucked up because I forgot how messed up Hollywood was back in the 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And this did a pretty accurate description of what Hollywood was, how the men were the higher-ups, and if women wanted work in the business, they had to have sex with them, all that nasty stuff. And to know that her powers are based on her emotional well-being, and when she's in a negative state of mind, that's when she would blot out and lose control. But if she really wanted to blot out and control it, she would have to just control her emotions. And I think going back to the moment of her confronting her demons of sleeping with directors and producers to get these roles really helped legitimize, I want to say, her character because she never really had much to go off at this. She knew she was troubled. And the perfect example for this is actually from Titans. If you guys remember the Doom Patrol episode, the first time we meet her, she's caved up in a room, super depressed. No one's seen her for weeks. And when they pan into her room, she's just the blob figure because she's so mentally dis- just depressed. She's going through depression. She doesn't know how to live with herself. And because of that, she goes into this blob form and doesn't know how to go back to her physical form. And I think when they go into the inside of her past and how she got her role and why she's so like this, did a pretty perfect job for how we understand her character and her well-being more. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with all of that. I just uh, really loved how they approached this and made sure that they wanted to put a scene like this out there, um, and which is what I really love about Doom Patrol. It's not afraid. So, yeah, uh, I'm definitely putting that as my number six. Ryan, you got the number five slot. Tell us what uh, your moment is. All right. So I'm pretty sure we can all agree with this moment, but my moment is, I, I don't remember what episode it was, but it was towards the middle end of the season between Larry and John. It's when Larry goes to, I think it's his name, right? John? Yeah, John Bowers. It was the, the episode where you're finally starting to get more of why the negative force is bringing Larry back to times with John, the one he loves. And towards the end of the episode, we get the scene where he goes and talks to John at a very old age, and he's almost dead at this point. I thought he was dead at this point when he went to visit him or in a coma or something. And I thought this was one of the best character development moments, in my opinion, because Larry, not really too well fleshed out for the beginning of the season, but as time went on, I felt like he was one of the more better developed characters especially with this moment. You get the scene where he finally understands what the negative force is trying to tell him, how he needs to just be one with his past. He needs to truly embrace who he is because he's never got to embrace who he is. He's never gotten to tell people that he's gay, he loves men, even though he has a wife and two children. And even after the accident, he never got the chance to do that because he never spoke to anyone other than Rita and Niles Holder, and the other part, he was stuck in the ant farm. And 
this was his time this was his time to just let go of his past and become the newer Larry that we know. And when he goes to talk to John, it was very powerful. They haven't seen each other since the accident. If you remember the last time that John actually saw him was after the accident. They had Larry in the containment unit, and he spoke over the PE system or PA system, and he's talking about how how he'll miss him and how he's sorry, and they never got to have the life that they wanted together and all that. And now that he comes back almost like, what, 50, 60 years later, and he, he talks to him about living and John got to live this awesome, fulfilling life with the man he found after Larry. And Larry never got the chance to do that because of the accident. And not only because of the accident, because he never truly came to terms with who he was. Because even though it's 2019 now, everyone's accepting of everyone now. We have, we have fucking LGBTQ month, which is right now. A whole month dedica- dedicated to the the gay, queer, lesbian, bi community, all these people. And even though we're in that time now, his mind is still stuck in the 50s where he was pretty much outlawed at that point. And you would get killed and put almost on a stick for being gay. And he was always afraid of coming up because of that reason and because he never got the chance to live after the accident because he was so disfigured and was on life support through the negative force. He never got to let go up until this moment when he went to go visit John is when he finally got to let go and become the person he was always supposed to be, no matter what he looks like. And the, the ending scene when they're on the porch outside talking about how John got married. I don't remember if he said he had had kids that they adopted, but I'm pretty sure they adopted children, but you get to learn that even after Larry, John came to terms with what happened to Larry and found the true love of his life and got to live a fulfilling life. And this is when Larry just let him, let John goes off. I thought he was dead for a minute. I thought that he he was dead, but then he checked his reading and he was still alive. And he's like, he even said to him, the love of his life, I'll see you soon, my friend, or something like that. And you got to see that the love of his fucking life, he called his friend because he knew if he kept calling him the love of his life, he would never let go of his past self and move forward with his life. And honestly, this is one of the most powerful and sentimental moments of the season, in my opinion. Yeah. And I love that um, Larry got to actually speak with John because I was thinking it was one of those things where John was going to be dead and it was like John was always going to be a ghost from Larry's past. And it's like, no, they were able to speak about it. John was able to kind of give him wisdom, if anything, to help Larry because Larry had really just not been living at that point. And what I loved – I love that you find out that the negative energy is essentially trying to get Larry to come to terms with himself and how there was this tug and pull because Larry kept, uh, not Larry, the negative energy kept trying to bring Larry to moments with John. And it wasn't this episode, but there was an episode where um, Larry was yelling at the negative force saying, you know, look at the, uh, look at the context. You know, this is the sixties. I can't, you know, come out. I can't live this life because there was just these people who were, 
you know, lynched essentially. There was people who were beat up and I can't do this. So why are you even trying to torture me with this? And we even see in one episode where they show like brief glimpses of all of the Doom Patrol as kids. And you even have Larry overhearing his parents saying, oh, I think he's gay, not my son, yada, yada. So it was really important, I feel like, for Larry to speak with John as an older person and see also that John got to live a fantastic life. He wasn't hiding. He didn't, you know, become reclusive or anything. He lived the life as who he was, um, you know, and got to be with someone. And I think that was super important for Larry to see and for Larry to have that conversation with John at an older age. Um, Juwan, what did you think of that scene between Larry and John? Uh, I, I compared it to um, Winter Soldier, where Steve got a chance to see Peggy, um, and they they got to share a moment. Um, and, you know, he kind of got to apologize for not being strong enough for her. Um, I still, to this day, <laughs> think that was one of the stupidest scenes. Like you could have easily jumped out of the plane. Like if, if the plane was if the plane was for it to land in the water, you could have just jumped out. I'm sure there's a parachute there. But anyway, um, it was very reminiscent of of Winter Soldier, to where it was kind of just like it felt right. Like it felt good to know that he could see Peggy. He could apologize. He could tell her um, how much he missed her, how much he loved her, and that he he was happy that she was able to make a life for herself um, after he had you know seemingly disappeared. Um, and I think that was very healthy for both of them. Um, it kind of, uh, felt good for her to see him again. It felt good for him to see her, but mainly it felt great for Cap that she was able to, to live a, you know, a, a great life. Now, Endgame kind of retcons that by saying, like, the guy she married was always Steve, um, and, and those were her and, and, and uh, his kids, but to go back to, to Doom Patrol, I think Larry needed it. I think Larry held a lot of um, resentment. I think he held a lot of hate, um, sorrow, and guilt. Um, And I think it was healthy for him to kind of let things go uh, and apologize to his wife when Mr. Uh, Nobody put him in kind of like that trance. He got to apologize to her. Um, And not not being who the kids need. Um, And he got to the, to the man that he loved. Um, and he was happy to see that he moved on um, because he felt that he was in no state to be loved or to love someone. Um, so I'm, I, Larry also quite like, I um, can't believe that, Rita, um, it was a soul-liberating season. Like they liberated their souls. All that stress, all that hate, all that resentment, all that guilt that was just burnt like it was literally, it felt like it was killing them. Um, and they were able to kind of unload it all. Um, and I think they're now better for it. So I think you won't see Larry moping around in season two. I don't think you'll see him with all this sadness that he had. I think you'll see him just himself to becoming the hero that we need all of them to be. Um, and that's why Larry and Rita go hand in hand um, on the idea of this was liberating for them. I think out of everyone, those two, more importantly, were able to liberate everything that was holding them down um, so they could free themselves to become who they needed to be. 
but yeah, that that was that was a very crucial for Larry, and I'm glad he got to to experience that. I'm glad he got to see him um, and and say pretty much his goodbyes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm super happy with that scene, and as you said, Juwan, I think that because of that. Uh, we will see a Larry who is not moping around so much in season two. I think it was important if he never got to see John again and have those conversations, we may not have gotten that transition in Larry's character. So uh, Ryan, great pick with this. And yes, happy pride month. I should have said that uh, earlier, but absolutely fantastic scene. Um, Juwan, I'm going to go to you now for the number four slot. Oof. All right. So for this one, I was saving this, not necessarily, it's not necessarily a scene. Um, it's more of the episode, but Mr. Nobody, finding out that Mr. Nobody was originally part of the Masters of Evil um, is possibly the, the Brotherhood most, of Evil. Brotherhood well, of Evil, know. I'm sorry. Masters, mm-hmm. Masters of Evil or something else. I think that's He-Man. I'm sorry. And my brain is everywhere. <laughs> Um, but, but um, if anyone knows the characters, uh, the brain, uh, we saw like his, um, the host body in the episode of uh, Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol. Um, that is one of the, the lead um, villains from that group. Um, and when he said the talking monkey, um, Joel made it very clear to me because I completely forgot because there's so many monkeys in the DC universe. It's not um, Grodd. It's not Grodd. Um, and I felt so dumb when he was like, it's not Grodd, Joanna. I was like, oh, that's right. It's not Grodd. Um, I think it's it's the humanoid, I believe, uh, Joanna said. I could be still wrong on that. Um, but I love that episode because it kind of sets so much up for season two. So where it's like, if Mr. Nobody doesn't come back, which I really pray that he does, um, the Brotherhood of Evil is an amazing uh, group of villains for you to have the Doom Patrol face off against. And I think Mr. Nobody was the great warm-up for them to go up against um, a super-powered villain team. Uh, and I can just picture right now Cliff versus um, the Brain. The Brain's not his name. I can't think of his actual name. Um, but just there's so much humor that, that I can tell you right now, if they go the route of Brotherhood of, of Evil... Um, so much humor is going to come out of this. Um, but, yeah, and I love what they were able to do visually with this season because it sets up what Brotherhood of, of Evil could look like. But, yeah, that Mr. Nobody episode um, I thought was so well done for us to – and, by the way, Alan, an amazing actor. Hopefully we can interview him sometime soon. Um, but just with that episode set up for the future – um, the future of possibly Mr. Nobody coming back, the the possibility of Brotherhood of, of Evil. Um, it was just so well done, and it had so many callbacks to the comics. It had Easter eggs, uh, like a you know like crazy. Um, so I'm going with that. But if I had to pick an actual moment, it would be when he was at dinner with his wife or girlfriend, and he was telling the story of the Brotherhood of Evil. Um, as if it was just like a club that he joined. <laughs> like I loved it. And the dialogue he had describing them, describing how he got kicked out, um, to me was a standout because of what that meant going forward for this show. 
I love that scene because she was like so into it. She goes, but did you tell them about the destruction thingy? And he's like, yeah, honey. And it's like they had this scene as if they were talking about like him making some uh, presentation at like an accounting firm, uh, it being the brotherhood of evil. And he was saying, you know, I got off easy. Normally when they let someone go, they let someone go, but they just didn't think of me as really a threat. And he said something like, you know, he mentions about the monkey and the brain and all that. So I love that uh, they were just kind of making it seem so normal. And it wasn't like this, obviously it was a super villain evil organization, but just the way that they were conversing about it was absolutely hilarious. Uh, Yeah, I like that a lot. You got to get and that little glimpse of backstory with Mr. Nobody. Uh, essentially, it was him having gotten fired, and then his, uh, I don't know if she was a girlfriend or fiance. I don't think that she was his wife, but her essentially dumping him because he did get fired from the Brotherhood of Evil. So I like that, and you kind of see that's why he then turned to uh, Dr. Von Fuchs, uh, to, to become this superpowered being because at the time he was just simply a nobody. So I did like that, uh, that little scene there. And obviously, as you said, Juwan, what it sets up for the future. Um, Ryan, you know, what were your kind of thoughts during that scene to just stand out to you when he mentioned the brotherhood of evil? I thought this was actually a really good scene because he mentioned the brotherhood of evil. Now I don't know too much about them, but I, Obviously, you know the name. So I got a little excited because I, I thought that was like a little teaser for season two. But I don't know now after the season finale with him stuck in that painting. But I thought it was a really good scene because, one, we got to see more Alan Tudyk. Who doesn't like more Alan Tudyk? And secondly, I thought it was great because it was just so funny. And you got to get more into a, a character arc or development for him. Because from this point, we really never got anything for him other than he got experiments on by Dr. Fook, and he didn't like Niles Holder. That was all we ever knew. And now we know he had a wife slash girlfriend, whatever the hell she was, and he was part of the Brotherhood of Evil. And you get sort of that implementation that he is a bigger person than we originally thought. Because when I saw the season premiere, I thought he was just like some B-list villain. But now that they mentioned the Brotherhood of Evil, he can easily be an A-list villain now because there's such a huge organization and group. And to see him in it really meant something to me. And maybe it kicked something off for season two. Maybe they start introducing more Brotherhood of Evil villains. I don't know, but I thought it was a really nice scene. And I wish we got more scenes like this with him, but I'm so glad we got this one. And I feel, I mean, hopefully Alan Tudis, uh, you know, comes back. I'm sure he's a busy guy. He's got a lot of shit going on, but it seemed like yeah, he's really... going to be, he's going to be Sorry, filming. Um, no, I was going to say he's going to be filming that Star Wars show soon. Uh, he's K2 Aso, the robot uh, for the, the Callian show. So I don't know if, well, if he's going to be too busy to do both. Well, and I hope not, because it does seem like he really enjoyed his character as uh, Mr. Nobody. But, yeah, this scene definitely set up for a lot. Um, Of course, as Ryan said, who is going to complain about more Alan Tudyk? 
Uh, so I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this scene just for that little bit of tidbit that was super nice about Doom Patrol. You had these little moments that really just said a lot to it. So definitely enjoyed that. Um, just looking forward to developing it more. If he is not super in season two, I at least hope that we see maybe flashbacks. Uh, maybe him walking around the Brotherhood of Evil. They made it sound like it's some sort of, uh, you know, corporate office. I mean, that would be hilarious. I think that they should do something like that, honestly. So definitely like that. Um, Alrighty, I'm going to hop into the number three slot. Uh, I guess in the retrospect, it's not as big. I was, like, saving it for the end of the list because um, it's going to be my last pick, but I just really liked it. Uh, it's going to be uh, Cliff, a.k.a. Robot Man, fighting off the Nazis. First of all, that episode in general was hilarious when they get back, when they get down to Paraguay and you had the guy who eventually would become Aunt Juwan Kirk. What is it? Is it Animal Vegetable Mineral Man? What is, did I say that right? Yeah, I, th- I think you did. I think that I'm trying to remember myself. I, I let's say you did. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's the name. That's the name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he's and he's like super excited to go down there, and then they're watching this like three hour puppet show describing everything, and then obviously <laughs> uh, when things go awry, and Cliff has to fight off the Nazis, and so this is what I particularly like, and I'm gonna. Con- Continue. I feel like going back to the review show that Juwan and Joelle did for the first two episodes of Doom Patrol, just because, I don't know, I really liked that episode, and I held a lot of what you guys said as I was watching the rest of the season, but uh, you guys had mentioned that, you know, Cliff is just a robot. He's not like Cyborg, where he has all these crazy abilities. He is literally just a brain in a can, as Cliff has even said throughout the series as a whole. But during that scene, we did get to see that he is a robot and he does have some sort of superhuman capabilities in the sense that, I mean, no normal human would be able to throw those guys around and be able to essentially rip bodies apart and shit. So we did get to see that while he is no superhero and he is no, um, you know, fighting force and has no blasters or anything like that. He still is super strong and is able to fight against uh, the bad guys. And I just thought, first of all, you had like this thrash metal that uh, was playing in the background. And as he's just really plowing through these freaking people, like nobody's freaking business and blood is splattering everywhere. I mean, to me, that was just such a like badass scene. And I had hoped that we would have gotten more scenes like that when it came to Cliff, but unfortunately we didn't, but I'm sure that we will maybe hopefully going into the second season, but it just went to show you that Cliff wasn't useless in a fight. He wasn't just standing there as a piece of decoration, so I think that's what I really enjoyed the most about uh, this little scene of Cliff fighting up against the Nazis, and of course, at the end when he kind of like flips them off, I thought it was just perfect. So yeah, that's going to be my number three hit. Um, Ryan, what did you, you know, think about Cliff fighting off against the Nazis? And had you hoped that we would have seen him fight against more throughout the season? 
I thought I thought it was pretty funny because you've got Cliff Steele, my dude. I've never I said I said this in the recap too. I've never heard someone use the word fuck more than I have. First of all. <laughs> and to see him use it was great, especially against the Nazi scum, as he likes to say. And I thought it was a great scene, especially when he, he uh, met Dr. Fook. He's like, your name's just Dr. Fuck, man. He's like, no, it's Fook. He's like, all right, you keep believing that. And I thought, I, thought, I thought it was great. Not only because of that, but you had this great bonding moment between him and Jane. And when he, dude, it's just when he fights the Nazis, he just goes through them like they're nothing. They pile on him, and he just stands up and then spreads his arms out, and they just start splattering on the wall like they're bugs or something. And it's hilarious. I love this scene. I wish he got more of it. I actually thought the Nazis were going to play a little bit more of a pivotal role after seeing this episode because the first half of the season, I'd want to say, had a decent amount of Nazis in it. For some reason, with Doctor Fook and the whole Brotherhood and all that, and it, it was crazy. I wish we got more, and I wish we do get more in season two, which is going to be like twenty twenty five. But that's besides the point. And all I know is I, I wish James Charles came up and just scared them all away, because that would have been hilarious. But that's just me. <laughs> I have you know I had to say James Ryan. Charles. You know I had to say James Charles. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, Juwan, what did you think of uh, Cliff fighting up against the Nazis? And had you hoped, again, same question, that we would have seen more of that in the rest of the season? And, sorry, I'm giving you like a three-part question. Did you think that they were going to show that based on what you had originally seen in the first two episodes? Hell yeah. Um, well, I I've read maybe two or three Doom Patrol comics, um, so I know he was able to defend himself. Um, so I like I I at no point thought like this is brain uh just his brain in a can and like um you know he's never gonna fight or do anything like that. Um, I can't remember the context of what I meant. Um, I, I'm surprised you remember what I said. I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> Um, so I can't even like speak back to that because I have no idea uh, what the context was of what I was what I was saying. Um, I just so pay attention lie. when you talk, I just pay attention when you talk to on. <laughs> I appreciate that because I don't. Um, so I truly appreciate that. Um, but no, so I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and lie and, and be like no 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 I always thought he was gonna like super kick ass and stuff. I don't I I, I don't know. Uh, but in reference to what you were asking me. Um, yeah, I mean, I assumed there was going to be something about Cliff that, that stood out. I mean, everyone else had abilities, so he needed something, um, that could stand out. I just never knew what the show was going to do, um, to really show him doing anything that really stands out. And I think that, um, that I call his bloodlust, um, for any out there, um, he just, kind of went apeshit, <laughs> was running through them um, like they were nothing. Uh, but I think it's so not Cliff. I, I think that's why that scene was so important is because he's such the laid-back guy. He's such the, the goofy guy, the funny guy, the not really taking things that seriously kind of guy. Um, like, to see him kind of, like, kill someone is something that 
doesn't really happen that often throughout the season. Um, and that's why I think it kind of scared Jane a lot. I think she was kind of like, oh, shit, like, you kill people? Like, this is insane. And it's like, really? Someone named Crazy Jane, who I'm sure has killed plenty of people, thinks this is crazy? But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think it was a, a showing you what he's capable of, but also focusing the rest of the season on showing you that that's not him. Um, that's kind of what I took from it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, when they face a villain that they could actually put their hands on. Um, like, what is that push push to? Like, are we going to get a villain next season that maybe holds his daughter hostage, tries to kill his daughter, and maybe he goes all crazy again? Excuse me. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I think we, you know, and obviously, as you said, this isn't Cliff because he is very goofy, is very laid back in senses. Um, but we do see uh, that there are moments that I think that he is also internally like screaming for some sort of simulation, which we obviously see later on in the show when he literally screams that his like brain is screaming for release. Um, so I think it was just one of those things where, like, in that moment, he just went ape shit because he isn't really used to emotions and feeling things anymore. So in that moment, he just, like, frogged out and went for it. And maybe didn't even, like, realize what he was super capable of until that moment. And then, obviously, afterwards, he sat there looking at all the dead bodies, and he was like, holy shit, this isn't me. Right, right, and, and, and that that's what I'm speaking to. I, I just don't think that form of Cliff um, is who he really thinks he is. But it'll be interesting to see because we saw what happens when, you know, uh, he gets to that point. Uh, the fun thing will be seeing what gets him to that point again because I can guarantee you that's not going to be the last time we see um, his character go all, all crazy like that. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm just really interested to see what his evolution is, uh, heading into season two. As do I, as do I, uh, Ryan, I'm going to go to you now for the number two slot in our top 10 Doom Patrol moments. All right. So we, we've chosen some pretty somber and, and character moments. I want to go to something really funny. I'm surprised None of y'all have chosen this yet, but when Flex Mentalo makes everyone come and have I was a, have saving a, it for you. I was saving it for yeah, you, Ryan, because you so... mentioned it. You mentioned it in the beginning of the show. You were like, "Oh, I knew exactly." All right, go ahead. You knew exactly <laughs> what I was going to This scene is just fucking fantastic. I remember watching the beginning of this, and he flushes, and I'm like, "Why does everyone look like they're about to pass out?" And then they all start screaming. And the scene goes on for, like, two minutes. This is, like, pure comedy gold. Everyone is having an orgasm there. And I, it took me a, a minute to figure out why they were all having an orgasm. I'm like, oh, because he flexed. And you see Cliff, since he's not human, he can't get in the um, – he can't climax or anything. So he's just, like, looking around and questioning, what the fuck is going on with everybody? So that was in his head, so he starts moaning like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, he doesn't know why he's moaning, because he's moaning because everyone else is. And then you see Flesh, he's like, oh, shit, what did I do? 
And then everyone starts screaming like, Flex, what did you do? And he's like, I think I flexed the wrong muscle. And it's it's pretty funny how a small muscle in your arm can cause this huge impact for him. And you can only imagine what, like, flexing his back could do or flexing his ear or flexing his biceps and pecs. It's just hilarious that he made everyone just climax pretty much for two minutes. And it was the whole town. Even Danny the Street did it. That's how powerful this man is. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was one of the funniest gags they've done in the show. And I'm, I'm kind of mad Flex didn't come back in the in the season finale, but this scene was just fantastic, and I loved it. It really just shows the show that, like, Doom Patrol isn't afraid to go there. I thought this scene was hilarious because I'm like, what am I watching right now? Because at first, like, no one really, like, understands what's going on. And then, like, you see it start to develop. And I love that Jane was like, I'm going to kill you right now. And, like, all the town people are fucking, like, freaking out. That one woman, like, on the bike, like, just, like, kind of goes past. And she's all, like, in the moment. And as you said, I love that, like, uh, clip was pretending. Because he's like, I don't want to feel left out. But obviously they kind of... uh pointed out later, like, how did you even have an orgasm? And he's just like, I didn't want to be left out. (laughs) Um, And freaking Larry, like, falls down to his knees at some point. I thought it was so funny. And Flex was so sorry. He was like, oh, my God. I just made, like, everyone orgasm. Even the fucking street, like, did it. It was hilarious. And really, like, goes to show how powerful Flex is. As you said, Ryan, I was super disappointed that he didn't come back for the finale. I thought that he is one of, like, the best characters, and I wish that we would have been introduced to him earlier in the season just because he, like, it's ridiculous, right? Oh, he flexes and he's able to control things. But, yeah, that's ridiculous, like, in a sense, but his powers are so powerful that he's even able to do half of the shit that he can do. So I loved it. I love that, like, they didn't do right away that he was going to send them into the blank space pretty much. Um, So I thought that was so, 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 so fucking funny. I absolutely loved it. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Juwan kind of dipped. I guess he was having phone troubles or something like that, but... Uh, so we can't, unfortunately, get his opinion on this scene. But I'm going to tell you right now, Ryan, I thought that that was hilarious. Dude, it was great. I thought it was magical. Dude, if this, if nothing else tells you what the show is, this, this scene does. This scene lets you know what the show is. And it's great. Sorry, I was had you on mute for a second. My bad, my bad. Um, oh, my well, God. I guess. No, myself on mute, I guess, um, I should say, because I was <laughs> typing. I didn't want. But, yeah, I, for, again, I loved Flex. Like, he was such a wholesome character, if you think about it. Like, all the man wants to do is watch his soap opera and eat cereal yeah. and be with his wife. Um, so for someone who was, like, obviously it seemed like he had no sort of, like, uh, you know, cruel intentions and, like, a conniving type of person, for him to, like, do something like that was just completely by accident, but, like, the most hilarious accident. Yeah, exactly. 
And also, by the way, I love that they brought back Danny the street in that moment. Like, how yeah, do you me have too, me too. how you have like a street that you really feel is a legitimate character is just insane that they could even convey that. Because I was like, oh, when I first heard about it, I was like, this is weird, the street. Like, how are we supposed to, like, identify with the street? But you really did. Um, and the fact that, like, Danny and Flex seem to know each other. Oh, my God, I love that scene where uh, Danny asks Flex about his wife, and he says that his wife is gone. And then Flex hugs, like, the, you know, inflatable balloon man. Oh, my God, it's so freaking funny. I love this shit so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a great scene, and I hope that in the second season we're able to get more flex, and hopefully he doesn't uh, make everyone have an orgasm for two minutes straight. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I was hoping that Juwan was going to have the last the last pick, but I guess that's kind of up to me. But in the meantime, you know, now that we're hitting the number one spot, I'm just going to go through all of them like I usually do. So, again, this is the top ten moments in Zoom Patrol season one. Let's go through the list. Number ten, we have the Doom Patrol warping into the donkey's anus. Number nine is Dr. Harrison spreading uh, the message of the recreator. Number eight is the big reveal that the chief uh, was the cause of everyone's accident. Number seven is inside Crazy Jane's brain. Number six is Rita killing the producer. Number five is Larry uh, and older John speaking. Number four is the Brotherhood of Evil mention. Number three is Cliff fighting off against the Nazis. Number two is Flex making the whole entire town, including the street, orgasm. And, again, I guess I have the number one moment, which I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? But I'm actually going to pick. And it's, like, a sad moment, obviously, but I still think I, I think I know. Does it involve Flex Mentalo? No, it doesn't. That is also uh, a very sad moment. I, I, and I, 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 I wanted to say it, but Juwan came on, so we never had enough spots because of everything else. But that's going to be an honorable mention, but say yours, say yours. Okay. It's definitely going to be an honorable mention because we have about, like, 22 minutes left. My number one is obviously not going to take 22 minutes, so we can definitely do that. But I'm going to pick uh, Cyborg because we haven't really mentioned him in all this uh, list, but Cyborg almost killing his father. Obviously, it's not, like, a good moment, but it was so powerful um, and so distraught. And to me, just, again, I became super impressed by this actor, Jovian Wade, who I had never heard of before. And his acting throughout the season was absolutely fantastic. And when he is going through that episode, really just convinced that his father was doing all of these horrible things to him, and you find out that it was Mr. Nobody in the end, and he's legitimately just beating on his dad to the point where his dad, he thinks, and we as the audience think, that his dad is dead. And I'm thinking to myself, how is Cyborg even going to be able to come to terms with the fact that he kills his father? Like, I was legitimately thinking that. And his and mother... That, and his mother, you know, so yeah, so he's sitting there thinking that he killed both of his parents. Both his parents. And, 
And he just held his father so sadly at the end of that episode. And you just have, like, the rest of Doom Patrol just watching. And I think what was also super, like, sad about it was, you know, I don't know how many episodes prior it was, but when Jane revealed the painting of Cyborg killing everyone, and obviously that had to have been weighing on his mind. And so it's like he was almost becoming exactly what he feared he was going to become. And I just think that 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 scene was so powerful. It got serious. Like there's been moments, obviously, in Doom Patrol that have been serious among the, like, ridiculous and the funny moments. But to me, that was just raw. It was raw and it was stark and it was just really, like, not something that I expected for this show. And I just have to, like, kind of acknowledge it because of the impact that it had. I mean, I really sat there until the next week, and I was like, Cyborg really killed his dad. That's going to be terrible. It's going to be, like, shattering to him. So uh, that's going to be my number one pick. Uh, Ryan, you know, what did you think about that? And did you think that legitimately he killed his father in that moment? I thought the fucker was straight dead. I'm not going to lie. I don't know how someone takes that many beatings by a metal hand and survive and still look as good as he did in the hospital, but that (laughs) motherfucker should have died. I'm sorry. He got beat into a pulp by metal. Bro, I I almost died from like three shots of vodka, and this guy gets fucking beaten by Cyborg himself, punched in the face 10,000 times. And he survived. Dude, I find it a little bit unbelievable, but I'm glad they kept him alive. I'm glad they kept him alive. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty powerful moment, especially coming from Cyborg. The only other powerful moment Cyborg ever had was him dealing with the loss of his mother because he blamed himself. All that other nonsense and shit like that. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a good moment, a good moment between the pair, the father, Silas, and Victor. I'm glad they got this team because the other times they've just been fighting. Victor just thinks his dad wants the worst for him. When really, in reality, it's not. He's just a father being overprotective, which everyone can always understand. And I don't know. I, it's a very small and somber scene that doesn't need too much description of what it does. But I think it does what it needs to do perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, I just think that it was the uh, climax of this story plot line that we've had of Cyborg and his father and Cyborg not trusting his dad for a while and even us as the audience thinking that the father had ill intentions for his son when, as you said, we just kind of find out that he's just being an overprotective father, which, I mean, when you find out everything, you can kind of understand why he's acting that way. It just would have been nice if he would have uh, brought his son into the loop pretty much so that his son didn't sit there thinking that his father was trying to plot all this shit against him. But, yeah, so that's what I'm going to pick as my number one. We can kind of hop into the honorable mentions. So, Ryan, what you were going to mention before, let's talk about that. So I didn't realize Thanos also snapped the DC Universe, first of all. (laughs) Because am I the only one who thought that when she disappeared? I'm just yes. like, you know, what the fuck? 
Thanos is in this universe too. Dude, this guy's fucking powerful. Now, but if you guys don't know, but uh, I think it was the second to last or third to last episode where they reunite Flex Mentalo with his wife. But what they didn't know was when Flex got put into the ant farm, I don't know if it was like a spell, a potion, or what it was, but they put a spell on him and his wife's relationship that if they ever met again, she would die. And that's exactly what happened. The Doom Patrol got his wife here via James. He teleported her to Flex. And as they were hugging, the bitch got snapped. She got dusted. What, Thanos? Oh, my God. But it was such a sweet moment for a character that we didn't even know. Because, I don't know, it was just a very nice, bittersweet moment. You see that he got to say goodbye before she died. I thought she was already dead by that point. But it seems like the show has that reoccurring theme that you just always think someone's dead when they're really not. Yeah. And by the way, uh, there were plenty of people on the internet making the correlation of uh, the wife having gotten snapped by Thanos. Because really? Exactly I've, never, I've yeah. never seen a meme of that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'll try and find it and send it to you at some point today. But, yeah, I mean, as I said before, Flex was such a wholesome character. And it was so nice seeing him with this, like, really, like, loving wife. We got to see that they went on picnics together, and she obviously really adored him. And while everyone knew him for his flexing power, she had that thing where she always said that his uh, best flex was his smile, which was super, like, cute and all that. Uh, and her coming back was essentially what jogged his memories because, we see through, like, all this backstory that throughout the years he had gotten, uh, you know, his memories kind of were wiped at that point. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know anything like that. But seeing her brought all of that back, and you have this really nice moment before, of course, it all goes to shit when she starts disappearing and starts vanishing which is super heartbreaking for him. And then he, you know, flexes and it shatters all the lights. I thought that was super funny because my boyfriend was watching that with me at the time. And he was like, great, now we all need uh, new light bulbs. <laughs> but, yeah, I, just, <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, you know, obviously not great for Flex, but, like, a great, like, cinematic yeah. moment, if you if you will. I love Flex. You want to hear something that really fucked up? Yeah. Do you want to hear something really fucked up? So I don't, I don't know if you remember, but back in the beginning of the, in today's show, we were talking about like the DC universe and all that, and how the DC budget is great in that. So I think Titans originally had 12 episodes in season one, but only had 11. And then they made the original season finale the season premiere for season two. So that show only had 11 episodes for the season, first season. Doom Patrol had 15, I think, for its first 15. season. Yeah. Swamp Thing originally had 15, then 13, it's to 10. and now it's up to 10. Do you want to know why? Because they went over its budget. They went so far over its budget in the first 10 episodes that they had to get rid of the last five. Well, I, I have I heard. Find, I find that hilarious. I had heard from the showrunner of Swamp Thing that even though they couldn't film the last three episodes, that he's still satisfied with the end of the se- uh, end of the season. 
I don't know how it is because if you're filming, right, and you get 10 episodes down and you're planning on the next three and they completely stop production, how did that 10th yeah, episode I, end then? I don't know. that. I said the same exact thing. I thought it was pretty funny, though. But, Tia, yeah, you've got to watch it. It's such a good season premiere. I'm, so I'm definitely going to... I'm definitely going to watch it at some point today um, because it looks like they really are trying to do the whole practical special effects thing, which is good. Yeah, I think that's how practical. you should go. Yeah, I think that's how you should go in this season. Um, and obviously with a more horror movie aspect to it, I think that's why I like DC Universe's shows is that they are darker, but they work. It's not the same as, like, the movies where they're darker, yes. literally meaning that you can't see a freaking thing. Although, I guess nothing beats that one episode of Game of Thrones. But still, but still, I can't see <laughs> shit when it comes, I still, I can't see shit when it comes to uh, the movies in the DC world. But yeah. the shows are dark. That, that one episode of Game of Thrones where it was just a fucking dark room for an hour and a half, from what I heard. It was. I was squinting the whole time. I couldn't see shit. I still don't know what happened really in that episode. And apparently, like, the directors, you know, like, said, oh, just adjust your TV screens. It's like, I shouldn't have to adjust my TV screen in order to see it. You should have just filmed it differently. It's funny. For anyone who doesn't know, before the the final season of Game of Thrones, I do not watch Game of Thrones. I'm not on the bandwagon. I do not find it interesting. That's just me, but millions of other people do, and I applaud them for that because I'm not one in a million who still enjoys The Walking Dead. I know, I know. But I told Tia right before the season started, watch this show fail after two years of hype. And it fucking fell miserably. Oh, my God. Not to, like, get in, not to I'm get so into it too much, but it's like, I love the first seven seasons of the freaking show. Like, it still doesn't take away from how good those seven seasons are. I still suggest to people they watch it. But, yeah, that eighth season, like, freaking fails. Do you feel like cheated that you have to wait not, like, two years for six lackluster episodes? Do you feel cheated by any chance? Because I would. I feel horrible. Absolutely. Absolutely, because I got into the show right as it, like, got into its seventh season, right? I haven't been, like, a long-term fan. I literally, like, the summer right before the seventh season came out, binged it, and then watched the seventh season. And then it was, like, one of those things, like, all right, I've got to cancel my HBO subscription because this show isn't even coming back for the next two years. So it's, like, then all of a sudden that happened. Have you seen Chernobyl by any chance? I've been hearing really good things about it. I wanted to start watching it. I haven't started watching it, but I know someone who did, and they said it was actually really good. Um, so I guess they're I've, trying I've to always like... been, like, curious about Chernobyl and shit like that. I don't know anyone that's seen it, but isn't it, like, the highest rated TV show of all time or some shit? I, I'm not sure about that, but people are really, really praising it. So, you know, we got good things going on in the whole TV realm. Uh, in a year, Westworld Season 3 will be coming back out. Uh, I want to get into Westworld so badly, but I keep forgetting uh, about it. Ryan, please do, because that way I can actually do, like, a recap or a top ten, like, show with people. Um, so I totally want to do it. I keep forgetting definitely about do, it. Definitely do it, because I would love to do a top ten one day of Westworld. 
just to kind of binge through it. There's only two seasons. Uh, There's 20 episodes, the right? Between the two of them? Isn't it like 10 yes. episodes each? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it a, a TV show, um, an anthology TV show, or no? Does it, like, continue over? Because it always it seems like an anthology to me. It's not. I, it's not no, it's not? It's not an anthology. It continues over, but it is one of those, like, mindfuck uh, shows that kind of goes back and forth between the past and the present. So you have to, like, pay attention. They don't make it obvious when they're in the past. It's not like the lighting is different or something like that. So you have to be paying yeah. attention and go, oh, they're in the past right now. This is not the present. Yeah, I want to get into it. I watched the first episode, and I just stopped watching it because I forgot about it. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I always want to get into it. Well, definitely watch it. And anyone who's out there who – I. Yes, if you haven't watched Doom Patrol, I'm not sure why you would be listening to this episode, but you should definitely watch Doom Patrol and check out Swamp Thing because it is available right now in the DC Universe app. I personally haven't seen it yet, but I'll be getting to it at some point today. Ryan, I think that we did a really good job with our list for Doom Patrol. I will never not talk about this show because it is honestly one of my favorite shows that are out right now. And hey, we're getting two. We're getting another season of Doom Patrol and fucking Titans. Titans season two is gonna be awesome with Deathstroke, Batman, Superboy. Fuck me in the ass. It's gonna be fantastic. Well, the guy who's gonna be playing Bruce Wayne from Game of Thrones. Yeah. is in Game of Thrones. So that's going to be interesting to me because I never saw him. Like I love the character. I love the character of Jorah. I've never seen him in anything. I've never seen I don't see. I don't see it right now. The whole Bruce Wayne thing, but I'm not gonna like you know, uh, be against it. So that's perfectly fine. But yeah. Um. All right. So we are kind of at the end of our show. Ryan, uh, give yourself a little shout out right now. All right. So you guys can find me on Twitter at just Ryan again. I know a very complicated name, and I currently have a podcast called the Geek Fix Podcast out right now. I'm trying to get someone to help me with my next episode, but no one wants to help me with it for some reason. Maybe because I'm, I'm an asshole, but if you guys <laughs> want to stick around, my next episode is going to be all 22 MCU movies ranked from worst to best. I don't... Yeah, I should want to get your opinion on something. Should I wait to do this before or after Spider-Man Far From Home? I think you should wait to do it after Far From Home because I feel like that's yeah, going to have a nice thinking. little spot in there. So... Next episode is going to be not that now. I changed my mind already in a matter of a second. It's going to be about the movie going experience in the movie theater because I've always wanted to talk about it. So, Tia, if you want to come on, let me know. We'll schedule a time for like tomorrow or something. So, just DM me. And if anyone that listens to this, don't DM me about it. No, just no. But see you guys on the next one. Absolutely. I definitely want to be a part of that, so we'll figure out at some point today, maybe some point this week, maybe tomorrow, doing that. But, um, again, this is the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. We are here every Sunday. Not sure what next week's pop is going to be, but it'll be fun regardless. So, um, if you haven't gotten a chance, you can always go back on our website uh, at gvnation.com and check out all of our episodes we've done 
American Gods, Game of Thrones, best Netflix series, best Marvel movies, all of that great stuff. So please be sure to head over there and find me on Twitter and Instagram at TC underscore Thank you all for listening and have a fantastic weekend.